I'm just going to start from a section of the passage from last week's message that Steve gave. This is out of Acts 16, starting in verse 23. After striking them many times with rods, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. He, having received such a strict command, threw them into the inner prison, that's the dungeon, and fastened their feet in stocks in an agonizing position. So that paints the picture. This is the key point. But about midnight, when Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them, praising, praying and singing hymns to God while their feet are in agonizing in stocks, in agonizing position, in the dungeon, in the darkness, in the gloom, they weren't crying out to God saying, where are you? They were crying out to God saying, praise you. See, So then this morning I get the pleasure of introducing my son and daughter who are here visiting with us um, from Salem, Oregon. They're on staff with Youth with a Mission. And they have uh, led mission teams overseas. And uh, currently their area of focus has been uh, in Greece, both mostly in Thessaloniki and uh, participating in a big outreach in Athens. And I'm going to let them come up and talk more about what they do, who they are, and what Youth with a Mission is all about. So here's Rob and Sandy. We can pass it back and forth. Yeah, good morning. Man, we, we are very thankful that we're here with you guys this morning, get to share a little bit of, of who we are and what we do. Um, yeah, it's, it's a blessing. So if there's one thing that I would like for you guys to take away from this time, because we're going to share quite a bit of information just in the five, ten minutes that we have, um, it's one verse that has really carried us through um, I mean, I, just the last couple weeks and really propelling us into um, just holding on to hope and the vision that God has given us. Um, and I want to read it really quick. It's uh, just Philippians 2.13. And it's, this is because God himself acts upon you so that you may want and do everything in accordance with his redemptive plan. I just love that, the, the last part of in accordance with his redemptive plan. And I, that that's something to, to hold on to no matter what's going on. And, and for us, that this is what we share, this is how he's leading us to walk in accordance with his redemptive plan. Um, so keep that in, in mind. Um, but a little bit about youth with a mission, or we call it YWAM. There's a lot of acronyms in, in YWAM. Um, but it has been around since 1960. It was started by Lauren Cunningham, uh, just this, this guy that got a vision from God about waves of young people uh, going overseas and sharing the gospel in every nation. Um, and from then on, it's just, it's blew up. It's in 180 countries and has over 20,000 full-time staff. And so that, we're a part of that, that number. And, and what that means is that that's 20, over 20,000 people that are completely supported by friends and family and, and, go and, and serve and go where God's leading them. And, and it has, YWAM has a, a very amazing apostolic um, anointing on it that, that they were able to just go and start new initiatives and, and with the wisdom of, of older generations were able to, to do things that might not have been possible before. 
And the great part is that I love that we're a part of empowering young people into going to the nations, like ourselves being young, but then being able to, to come to churches and, and speak in youth group and say, hey, you have a part in this, you know, especially with the way that the generation is these days. It's cool to be able to see the heart of God set ablaze in them um, and then to see them go and, and, you know, not telling them you have to wait till this, this, and this, and then you can go, but saying like, no, God has called you and he's anointed you right where you're at. And so we love being a part of YWAM. We love empowering young people and championing them to go to the nations. Oh, all right. Well, I'm going to share a little bit. So, yeah, just to kind of, like, give you a little bit before we show you guys a video, um, Rob and I, like John said, are a part of Reaching the Nation of Greece right now. That's where the Lord has had our focus be for the last couple of years. Um, we started out in the summer of 2016. We headed to Greece with a team of nine students that we headed up, uh, and it was at the peak of the refugee crisis. You guys might have seen that on the news, you know, the, the pictures of, you know, children and families washing up on the shores after their boat had capsized on their way from Turkey to Greece and fleeing the war in Syria. And so we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into when we arrived. Um, it was craziness. They had just dispersed a camp of like 60,000 people into um, government camps all around different areas of Greece. And we got sent to a camp just outside of the city of Thessaloniki, Thessalonica for those, you know, from the Bible. So it was really cool to be able to be sent to this place. Um, it was a camp of over 3,000 people. And a lot of the work that we did was we distributed basic necessities. Um, we, the, they had no organization and it was really cool. The Lord used us and the team that we had and a couple of the church members that we had partnered with um, to organize a system and to be able to do that. And then we got to share the gospel and listen and be a part of these people's journeys and bond with them in a way that we never thought. And so it was incredible that summer we got to be with them. After the end of that trip, the Lord had spoken really clearly to Rob and I that we were to go back. Um, so we went back, just the two of us. I was pregnant at the time. And we served for three and a half more months in Greece. And then we went back again, and the Lord had confirmed in us that that was going to be a place that we were actually going to be moving, instead of just this back and forth. But he, we've seen the, the situation in Greece with all the refugees flooding the shores turn from a crisis situation where there was all this aid and humanitarian care, and there still is, but we got to see it shift from that crisis to this is now Greece. Greece is a, a melting pot now with people from all over the world, not just Greek people. So we've got refugees from Northern Africa, from all parts of um, Middle East, and even some parts in Asia. And so it's really cool that we get to be a part of now, not just the assisting in aid, but the discipleship. The Lord was like, you know, we've sent a lot of short short-term teams to go and plant seeds and to present the gospel, and a lot of people were saved, you guys, from nations where the, the gospel was not open, where you're not allowed to share. The Lord took them all from there. Well, he used it, and he brought them to a place where we can openly go and share. So we saw so many salvations. You know, people had dreams and visions of Jesus before they met us, and then they're like, whoa, you're talking about this Jesus that I saw in a picture in my head, or when I was sleeping, or, you know, he appeared to me, and I didn't know who this man is, and now you're telling me who he is. I want to know him. Give him to me. And they're just, they're saved, and it's amazing. So we got to see that, but then now he's like, I want you to, do, to walk with them. And there's not a whole lot of people left in Greece, because now it's not in the news and you know the crisis is over but there's a lot of need for discipleship a lot of need to walk with them because if we don't they'll just let go you know they they don't have anything to grasp on and so we're really honored to be a part of that and that the Lord called us to go back um, so that 
We've now been back and forth four times. Um, and this last trip that we took with our daughter, I don't know if you heard her screaming, Mama, in the back. Her name's Gabriella. Um, we just went on a trip, and we are now partnering with the Youth with a Mission base there. It's really small. They're pioneering something there. Um, and we acquired a building for the first time in their history, which is amazing. We got to get the keys while we were there last time. The building actually used to be used as a sex cinema where like pornographic films were showed and young women were trafficked out of this building. It's very prevalent in Greece, unfortunately. Um, and so being able to see that God led us to this building to redeem what was once broken and so dark and turn it into a place of hope and life and, and championing those young people that once were trafficked and saying, no, there's a hope and a future for you with Christ and you are powerful and, and I love you. And so we get to be a part of that. God has really set our hearts ablaze, not just for the refugee community, but for the Greek people. Um, and, you know, even when Paul went, it was tough soil. They chased him out, you know. And and so we, we've seen that it's been a difficult place to preach the gospel. There's not a lot of open hearts within the Greek people. Um, but God has used us to kind of till the soil. And we're believing that he's planting new things there and it's going to come to life and that he wants to stir a revival within not just the Greek, uh, the refugee people, but the, but the Greek people. And that we're going to be able to bridge that gap and see Greece become something that maybe they don't believe that they can be right now in the state of their economy or the state of their, cover, you know, their country. So we love Greece so much. And um, yeah, we, we want to share a little bit more about the building and, and all of that, but we don't have time for that. And, you know, John can share a little bit more about the opportunities maybe after this that we can share with you. But yeah, did I miss anything? Um, what's immediately next for us is actually on Thursday, we're starting a three-month-long counseling school um, that's it's within Youth with a Mission. There's a university that's a Christian-accredited university, and so we're able to be a part of that in this counseling school and really gain some skills and just get equipped to know how to, how to help not hurt. Because I think with, with people that have been through the trauma that, that refugees have been through, it's really good to, to come equipped. And the Holy Spirit definitely spoke through us in that time, and his grace was covering us. Um, but we just want to take more steps to, um, yeah, to further our education in, in, in how to help them well. Um, and then after that, that school ends in June, um, we'll have a couple months that we'll be in Salem working. She'll be leading worship. As you'll see in the video, she leads worship, and I'll be helping in the maintenance of the campus. And then we'll step into leading a discipleship training school, which is YWAM's flagship program. It's, it, it was one of the first things that they started running to get young people involved. It's a six-month program, and so we will be helping to lead that. We've staffed three in the past, um, but this time we'll actually be heading it up, which will be... It's, it's, a, it's a big job, but it, it'll be really good in teaching us leadership skills and, and being able to apply what we just learned in the, in the, counseling, in the counseling school and then take that to, to Greece. Yeah. So we have a video that kind of just sums up what we shared. Um, it's, it's a couple minutes long and sums up the last two, two years of our ministry. We have another video um, that we won't show right now keep you in suspense, and, um, but that shows kind of the first two years of our ministry. Um, so we can go ahead and, and play that now. In our last video, we left off just before we moved to Salem, Oregon to staff our third DTS. Shortly after we moved, the school began and we met a group of people that would become Team Greece. 
We spent three months training in Oregon before we were sent out to Thessaloniki. This was the third time our family had done ministry in Greece, but Gabriella's first outreach. She did amazing. It was such a gift to us, our team, and everyone that we met. We spent just over a month in Thessaloniki and were able to share the love of Jesus with people that we met on the street and in their homes, as well as spend lots of time with our Greek family. After our time in Thessaloniki, we traveled to Athens to do outreach with about 200 other YWAMers. We did a lot of evangelism and served the city in any way that we could. Fast forward a few months later to September of 2018, and we found ourselves in Thessaloniki for the fourth time. This scouting trip was meant to see what our day-to-day -day life would be like when we lived there. spent the majority of the time building relationship with our local church and our future team. It was clear that God made this trip happen to teach us and prepare us to become long-term missionaries in Thessaloniki. We feel such an excitement when we pray for that place and know God is doing something big. We also helped start a weekly Bible study and a monthly worship night with the YWAM team. Next for us is the Foundation of Counseling Ministry School here in Salem. During those three months, we will learn much-needed counseling skills that will equip us for the ministry that God has for our family. I will also continue to help with the maintenance of the campus, and Sandy will still be leading worship. This fall, we have an awesome opportunity to help lead the fall DTS and disciple about 40 young people into the calling that God has on their lives. If you would like to know more about what we do or join our team of monthly supporters, please contact us. We would love for you to be a part of God's work in and through our lives. Thank you. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 10 says, But we have this treasure in jars of clay, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Amen. This is the word of God. Good morning. You know what we're studying in the book of Acts is really the beginning of what these folks are carrying on in, I'll say Thessalonica because I don't know your term. Uh, because uh, the beginning of the gospel outside of Jerusalem was what Paul did basically. And his journeys that we've been studying and the, today we're on the third journey uh, is uh, just that it's a carrying on now 
we are carrying on what Paul started way back then. Amen. I'm so grateful for that. And by the way, in, in, uh, in chapter 20 of, of these chapters that uh, I'll be dealing with today, chapters 18 through 23, in chapter 20 there's a little side issue, story, and uh, it makes me realize that if uh, in any way your name is Eutychus and uh, you're sitting in the window, uh, Paul was a long-winded preacher. And it says that while he was preaching, and he preached such a long time that this poor guy sitting in the Uticus, he was a young guy, and he was sitting in the window, and, and he fell three stories down. We don't have that blessing here. And, uh, and he fell dead. And I, it's grateful that it wasn't me that was in charge there, because Paul went down and fell on this body and brought him back to life. I don't think I have that power. So anyway, um, uh, long-winded preachers, I received when I was pastoring a church in Portland many years ago, after about three weeks, one of the members of the church brought me a sign to put up in my office. And the sign says, a sermon doesn't have to be uh, eternal to be immortal. I'm trying to cover six chapters today, and I'm, and I'm not going to do a very good job of it because there are only a few spots that I'm going to touch on. But uh, it is a vital piece of, of uh, God's work in this world, uh, what we find in this uh, chapter here, or these chapters. Um, in the scriptures that were read from Second uh, Corinthians, it says that uh, we're pots of clay, clay pots, but the treasure inside is priceless. And uh, when you go to a, a market in Latin America, uh, or probably any place else, there's usually a lot of pottery. There's everything from big, large water pots to little tiny trinkets. And uh, every one of those things has a, a real purpose. Everything that uh, is made there, it, it may not be very beautiful. Sometimes they paint them. I've seen some pottery that has most gorgeous paintings on it. And then I've seen the other that is like a flower pot. Uh, but they're clay pots, and they're not eternal. They get broken. In fact, uh, you read in the story of, of um, Jonah, Noah. No, not Noah. Who was it? Uh, Job. That uh, he had such horrible itching because of this horrible disease that he had, and his sores were bro broken out. And he would scrape it with just pieces of pot, oh, broken pottery. Can you imagine? So pottery has its reasons and, and its, its purpose. But uh, anyway, uh, we're coming to the end of our study in the book. Of, or actually, it's more than a study. It's the presentation of the book of, of Acts. We're coming down to the 
next to final one. And uh, I feel that we need to be careful about, not necessarily careful, but at least we need to take in mind what the, the title of this book is. It says it's the Acts. We call it that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, and so on. But actually, it's, it's, uh, we say it's Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. I want to change that just a bit and say it's the acts of the Holy Spirit through pots of clay. That's what we are. We're not eternal. And uh, we're to be useful. So when we talk about clay pots, we need to think of three things. One is... um, I better read it because I'll otherwise forget it. Um, To whom do we belong and are we open to his control? Because we're not in ourselves, we're not adequate. And, uh, And then the next thing is, are we clean? And the third thing is, what treasure do we have inside of us? God wants us to... uh, be good vessels to hold that blessed treasure which is the Holy Spirit and the gospel that he has. Now going to Acts 18, and by the way you don't see any pictures up here, I'm, I'm going back to my Honduras days uh, to where uh, I didn't have a microphone, didn't even have electricity some places. That was a marvelous experience. You don't have to worry about all this kind of stuff. But anyway... Uh, uh, I didn't get my outline in in time. My carnality. So, uh, anyway, uh, you'll have to listen to me instead of look up there, okay? But uh, in Acts 18, it starts off with Paul going from Athens, Greece, to uh, Corinth. Now, Corinth was not a nice place. In fact, it, uh, it says that to Corinthianize was to corrupt morally. It was so corrupt. It was a, a uh, sailor's town. You know, when sailors come in, well, then they pass the night doing their thing. <laughs> and, uh, and it said that there was uh, a temple of pagan temple there and there it was being served by a thousand uh, temple prostitutes and all that goes with that it was known for its immorality it was known for corruption politically and it was known only for that until through Paul and his company uh, they invaded that why would you go to a sinful place like that isn't it nicer to have a nice a nice place to go where people all greet you and so on. That would be nice, but Paul or God said, Paul, I have many people here. That's why I'm sending you here. And over a two-year period in which they, he had constant contact with the people, constant preaching and constant counseling, there were many, many, many people that came to know the Lord there. 
And it became a center, not only of corruption, but finally that faded more and it became a center for sending out the gospel. Um, Paul and his his, uh, companions were that uh, clay pot that was, were carrying the priceless treasure of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we can go f- boldly into whatever situation, yes. and we do not have to worry. Uh, now, with Paul, God said to Paul, now, don't worry. I won't let anybody kill you, uh, but you just keep on preaching because I have many people here. Mm-hmm. And so... The invading or the invasion of God's people carrying God's spirit and God's word into a godless place brings change. The point that uh, I saw in, in studying this out is the constant reference to many people believed. In one place it said thousands of Jews believed and multitudes and so it uses these big words about greatness and bigness and so on and and uh, as I was thinking about it I just, I realized this was not just that multitudes came but one by one by one by one people were came to the Lord how did you come to the Lord as a mass of people my testimony is simply that I had heard the gospel and, and uh, my mother was a good, solid Christian and, and all and went to Sunday school and everything. When I was 15 years old, one night I went to bed and I suddenly just felt such a terrific conviction of sin. Nobody was in the room with me. I was just there. And... Uh, in fact, that happened just a few miles from here up at Methow. You know, God's country, and that's the capital city of God's country. And, uh, but uh, I got out of bed and just began pouring out my soul to the Lord. Lord, forgive me. I hadn't committed great sins, I mean, as far as the world's concerned. But I knew that I had really sinned against God. I didn't come as a multi- in a multitude I had the privilege of coming individually, and you too. And that's what we're going to be working with as we work with the Hispanics here in, uh, in Chelan, one by one by one. Wherever you are and you're witnessing, it's one by one by one. And when you get a bunch of ones, you get a whole multitude. This is what Paul, I feel, was, uh, was getting. In uh, Acts 18, 23 to 21:17, it's the story of Paul's third missionary uh, journey. And uh, it was um, not so much evangelistic as it was pastoral. Now, he had been over the same route several times, two, two other times, basically. Uh, and so he was going to be ministering to people he'd already ministered to. 
And it was in uh, uh, town after town that he had established churches. But then there were the centers where there were greater churches uh, built up. But uh, the thing is that Paul was concerned with the salvation of sinners. But he was also, and just as vehemently, he was uh, very concerned about the perfection of the saints. It's not enough to just to make a profession of faith. There might have been multitudes of people that made profession of faith, one by one by one, but nevertheless, they had not grown. He realized that he needed to go and perfect them. And so I want to read from uh, Colossians 1, verses 27 through 29. To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or uh, mature, complete in Christ. And for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Uh, We need to recognize our constant need of making disciples and not just professions of faith. Professions of faith are necessary, but that's not the end of it. We need to work at the discipleship aspect. Um, We have the example here of some disciplers in the next portion of scripture there. It's Apollos. Now he just kind of jumps into the scene as far as the reading of it is concerned. But uh, here he was a, a zealous man for God. He had a certain knowledge of God. He had been brought up knowing the the baptism of John, which meant repentance and faith. And he had a certain idea of who Jesus was. But as he preached, people listened. He had a gift of preaching. But as uh, Aquila, however you pronounce it, and Priscilla, as they watched him and listened to him, they realized something lacking here. And so they took it on themselves, and he was willing to listen to some laymen. They discipled him, teaching him more perfectly the ways of God. And as he uh, uh, developed through that, I'm sure that they talked to him about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I'm sure that they talked to him about more about who Jesus really is. But they perfected in a sense they discipled him and then he became a powerful powerful preacher uh, first in Corinth and then he went on to uh, Ephesus where he ministered very powerful uh, man but thanks the Lord for laymen who can disciple other people that's what Priscilla and, and Achilla did um Paul's purpose in this third missionary ministry or journey was to confirm, encourage, strengthen, and perfect the believers. There was evangelism. Undoubtedly, there was evangelism, bringing sinners to faith. But primarily, he wanted to minister to these people. And many of those had been 
result of his first and second journey so that he had already met some of these people. But I would judge that the majority of the people were not those that he had reached prior, but the ones that these other Christians had brought to the Lord. Now that's the way the gospel goes. It's not so much the preacher, but it's what the results of the preaching through the layman. And they carry on. I wish I could take you right now to some mountains up in uh, the central part of Honduras. It used to be that in that area, that state of uh, Olancho, there were about seven churches when we first got there. And uh, now there are 120 or 30. And most of those were begun by laymen who had gone through a lay training course of some kind or had just been saved and went back and testified and, and it just sprung up. And we thank the Lord for it. And uh, it's that the ministry needs to be to the Christians, I mean a lot of the ministry, to the Christians so that they will be strong Christians, so that they will be encouraged, so that they will be strengthened in their faith, in their knowledge of who God is. Let's remember that this was necessary then especially because the people did not have the scriptures like we do. They had to wait for somebody to come and tell them. All we do is pick up our Bible, dust off the dust, and then we start reading. Uh, by the way, how many Bibles do you have? I was sitting in my office chair and I looked around and I counted 20. Different versions and so on. Some were study Bible and you know, all that. But uh, they didn't have that privilege. We have a tremendous privilege uh, and an advantage that way. What a ministry encouragement is. Now I know I could name off some people right here in this congregation who have the gift of encouraging. And I am so grateful for them. I could name them, but I will not. But uh, it, it's a marvelous ministry. Sometimes a cup of coffee or a telephone call or an invitation to a meal will do more than a hundred sermons in de developing and making disciples. Now, of course, these uh, believers needed more teaching since they did not have the scripture. And uh, when these believers were aware that uh, since some of them had become believers with Paul's first and second trips, there were many who were new. Now, when Ellen and I were missionaries in Honduras, we were there for 21 years, and uh, we didn't see a great number of conversions under our direct ministry. We saw a few. But uh, I wish I could spend some time and tell you about some of those that uh, were our students, our disciples, because they, uh, they've gone out. Our one young fellow had him in Bible school, and uh, during one vacation t period, three months, uh, he came back and he reported that 
he'd had 75 people come to know the Lord. Uh, and I talked to the pastor that was supervising him, and he said, you couldn't hold him down. He, he would uh, 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 get up in the middle of the night. The Lord would say, go and talk to so-and-so. And he'd cross across these mountains there on foot and go to visit and bring people to the Lord. Uh, that's just one of several. And that's the way God intends for the gospel to spread. That's what God wants is when we become converted and then we make disciples and then they make disciples and they make disciples and they make disciples. And this is God's plan throughout. Now, if you had accompanied Paul on his uh, travel this time, if, if the mileage counter is right, according to what I've been able to read, he covered 1,500 miles in this third journey. He actually got up to Thessalonica. Uh, but in this... Most of it was on foot. Now, I don't like walking, <laughs> but uh, that's the way they did it. And uh, as he would go through uh, a place. Now, have, when you go to, for instance, you go to Portland, 330 miles more or less. And uh, how many towns do you go through? or go around, a whole heap of them, right? What is your attitude as you're going by these places? When I go to Indiat, I have a feeling. Why do I have to slow down here? <laughs> Paul would have, if he'd have been going there, he would have said, I wonder how many Christians are here. I wonder if there's something I can do. Because as we look at the map on which the, uh, the journeys of Paul, it's town after town after town after town. I have somewhere a list of the towns he went just on this third trip. And each one had a congregation. And he ministered to those congregations as he went. What is our view of, of people, well, of India, for instance? Uh, this is what God intends for us, is that we look at our cities, our towns, in the light of what God has for them. In Acts 20, 17 to 35, I'm going to be reading it. It's uh, Paul's, I call it, lay training course. He was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem, but in, uh, he realized that uh, he had a ministry he still had to do before he left. And that was to Ephesus. He had worked in Ephesus, and God had blessed his ministry in Ephesus. And it had become the strongest church of the whole area. But as he was uh, uh, getting ready to go to Jerusalem, he said, but I need to do something. That church lacks something. And so he, instead of going to Ephesus out of his way, he called for the elders to come and have a lay training course with them. And the uh, 
he used his own experience a great deal. So I'm going to read from the New Living uh, New Testament from uh, chapter 20, verse 17 to 35. But when we landed at Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus asking them to come down to meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day that I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly, yes, and with tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plot of the Jews. Yet I never shrank from telling you the truth, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Gentiles alike, the necessity of turning from sin and turning to God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. And now I'm going to Jerusalem, drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit, not knowing what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit has told me that in city after city, that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing unless I use it for doing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about God's wonderful kindness and love. And now I know that none of you to whom I am, have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. Let me say plainly that I have been faithful. No one's damnation can be blamed on me, for I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants for you. And now beware, be sure that you feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his blood, over whom the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders. I know full well that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some of you, wow, even some of you will distort the truth in order to draw following. Watch out. Remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. And now I entrust you to God and the word of his grace, his message that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I have never coveted anyone's money or fine clothing, you know that these hands of mine have worked to pay my own way, and I have even supplied the needs of those who are with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help the poor by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you were to break this down into uh, sections, it would make a whole day's worth of study uh, for a lay training course. Maybe it would be good for us to do that someday. Um, because uh, here is the example that God had in this pot of clay. Um, Paul was very human, but uh, he was filled with the, that priceless treasure, the Holy Spirit. Acts 21 to 23. Yeah, this is heavy stuff, so I'll just skip it. <laughs> Paul should have listened if he wanted to save his life. Um, 
there were many warnings. In fact, one prophet came and uh, took Paul's belt, probably a different type of belt, but anyway, took Paul's belt and he bound Paul with his own belt. And he said, this is what's going to happen to you if you dare go into Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. They're going to get you. And so please don't go. And others cried out, don't go, Paul. Don't go, Paul. It'll, they'll kill you, Paul. And Paul had a good reply for them. And I put it in my own words, so forgive me. Um, just remember that I am only a clay pot. I was made to carry about the priceless treasure, no matter how or with what consequence. I was made of clay, not steel. I am temporary, the treasure is eternal. Let me be cracked so that the treasure can shine through to this needy world. And if I am broken open, the treasure can flow out. So quit bugging me. <laughs> Jesus gave his life for me. I'm willing to give my life for him and for the sake of those for whom he came to save. And is that a challenge? that say something to us? I believe it does. So as we move from the exciting chapters of Paul's face-to-face, -face, that's these chapters, 21 to 23, his face-to-face -face with the political leaders in which the prisoner proves to be the captor. He outsmarts them. He outdoes them. Um, he will, we will see next week of how the gospel continues to expand to an even greater audience. And uh, we'll have, Robert, we're praying for you <laughs> to finish off this wonderful book. Paul finished well. How about us? Will I finish well as a cracked pot or as a cracked pot? May our Lord guide us into a full discipleship, fullness of the Spirit, fruitfulness for Him. A wonderful verse that God gave me many years ago, a guiding verse for my life. You've not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, He may give it you. John fifteen sixteen. Lord bless you. So, we're not going to get out of here without God stories. And I'm going to start. And I just want to testify that and reaffirm, we all know this. God knows the end from the beginning, doesn't he? So, as we set about what appeared to the elders as a daunting task of two months of sabbatical, of Scott not being here to lead us, and that the elders would be teaching each of us individually, it was intimidating for us. And yet, God, through this, has knit our hearts together as elders. And it's just been amazing to see what he has done in us individually and collectively. And I just want to testify to that to you. And I hope that as we've gone through this and you've shared in this time with us, that you have been impacted by the teaching and by the word of God as it's been presented by us ordinary uneducated pots of clay cracked through and through. 
So I just give God the glory for that. Now, who else has a God story? I know Paul does. Oh, I'm coming up there. My God story is that I'm here. I've got to tell you, after being through three hospitals and knowing your prayers are carrying me through, I'm a little shaky right now. Uh, I know there have been times when uh, the doc said, we don't do that operation on 82-year-olds. Okay? But somehow, he was convinced to do it. I can remember being in the OR, and somebody said, laying on the table, somebody said, let me introduce you, Mr. Da Vinci. And I looked across over my toes, and here's the biggest machine with arms going everywhere, and, and the surgeon in the middle, and somebody said, let's have a prayer. Amen. They tell me it takes six to 12 months to get it all back. I'm two and a half months. So I, uh, I love every one of you. This is, this is my church home, my church family, and you mean the world to me, and your prayers have meant the world to me. Thank you so much. Praise God. All right. Thank you, Paul. Well, as you know, my wife and I spent almost a year down at uh, Central Washington Hospital. And, of course, I spent a lot of time in the cafeteria. <laughs> I got to know a lady there who works in the cafeteria staff. I'll call her Barbara. That's not her name. But she would share with me her, her problems, and I would share with her my problems. We got pretty, pretty close. She had a son that was just really a grief to her. And so that's when he had started putting the rocks around the base of our cross. I said, would you mind if I took a rock put his name on it and put it by our cross and we pray for those. Well, sure. This is probably around um, September time. Last week, uh, about Monday or Tuesday, I get a call from her. Said, Don, this is Barbara. That prayer does work. My son has come back to us. That is terrific. So that's... The one small God story that I have now, this one's a little personal. <laughs> uh, Paul and I are almost the same age, and I take a physical once a year, and you all know this PSA count. Well, they've been going up and up and up, and I went for my physical last week, and I asked the doc, would you run the PSA test? And it's well, at your age, you really don't need to, but okay. So I came back. 4.3. Praise the Lord. <laughs> this is just a comment, really, about your message, Tom. The Japanese have an art form where the artisans create clay pots, and then they break the pots, and they fill those cracks with gold. 
and your message just filled me up today thinking of that that God repairs our brokenness with gold <laughs> his word so thank you anyone you know it's been a couple of months now since we've been getting the little ding at six o'clock or shortly before six and call to prayer. Well, over the past few months, I know Lois will join me in this and now Peggy and a few others. We pray from Colossians 1, 9 through 13, that the Holy Spirit just fill us each day and use our arms and whatever else that we can do and contribute to others, we are God's servants, and we do this in love. Well, now I want to take you back to 2006. I met a woman by the name of Elizabeth. Her daughter is Liz. She has two sons as well. I met her sister, Elizabeth's sister, Laura, and then I met her sister, Elma, and then I met Mom. Mom lives in Mexico, speaks no English, but she would bring Mom over, and Mom would pray with me. She'd bring her Bible, and she'd walk from room to room in my house praying for our families. Laura died Monday. We were invited, Bob and I, to a family gathering yesterday at Laura's house. It was a little intimidating since we were the only two white people there and the yard looked like a parking lot with all family members gathered. But what love was felt by all of us. We may not have the language to be able to understand one another, but we all understand the language of love. The faith stories I heard from these family members and Bob yesterday were amazing. And then Mom walked up, and she looked at me and hugged me, and she did not let go. And then she looked at me, and I pointed up, and I prayed the Holy Spirit just fill me this one time to let her know that Jesus' arms are wrapped around her. And she looked at me, I cupped her face, kissed her forehead, wrapped my arms around her, she held me so tight, and Bob could tell you it took a while, too, until there was peace. And love has no language barriers, and that's what God calls us to do, is to love one another deeply. Amen. You know, I'll end with this. We fail when we try to control God. And we succeed when we let God control us. So we leave here today 
Let's go with the grace and peace that God gives us through his son, Jesus Christ. And remembering that our mission field isn't anywhere that we have to travel to. It's right here. It comes, God brings it to us. And let's go to it. Praise God. God bless you. And next week, Robert. Okay.